worship the Lord. Amen. Father God, we welcome you here this morning. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus, and we welcome you here, Holy Spirit. We've come to praise you and to thank you and to worship you for all that you've done for us, all that you are, all that you're doing for us right now that we can't even see and don't even know about, and to thank you in faith for all that you're going to do for us in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. There were walls between us, by the cross you came and broke them down. You broke them down. There were chains around us, by your grace we are no longer bound. No longer bound. You call me out of the grave. You call me into the light You call my name and then my heart came alive Your love is greater Your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me Your love is greater Your love is stronger Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me Feel the darkness shaking, all the dead are coming back to life, back to life. Hear the song awaken, all creation sing, we're alive, cause you're alive. You call me out of the grave, you call me into the light, you call my name and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens. Awakens me, your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. And what a love I found, death can't hold me down. Shout it out, we're alive, cause you're alive. What a love we found, death can't hold us down. Shout it out, we're alive, cause you're alive, and what a love we found. Death can't pull us down. Shout it out, we're alive, cause you're alive. Your love is greater, your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love is greater, your love is stronger. Your love awakens, awakens, awakens me. Your love awakens me. Amen. My heart is overwhelmed And I cannot hear your voice I will hold to what is true Though I cannot see 
the storms of life they come, and the road ahead gets steep. I will lift these hands in faith. I will believe. I'll remind myself of all that you've done and the life I have because of your son. Love came down and rescued me Love came down and set me free I am yours I am forever yours Mountain high, oh valley low I sing out, remind my soul I am yours I am forever yours When my heart is filled with hope Every promise comes my way When I feel your hands of grace Rest upon me Staying desperate before you, God Staying humble at your feet I will lift these hands and praise I will believe I'll remind myself that all that you've done I have because of your son Love came down and rescued me Love came down and set me free I am yours I am forever yours Mountain high, oh valley low I sing out, remind my soul I am yours I am
came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. I am yours. I am forever yours. Mountain high, oh valley low, I sing now, remind my soul. Plentiful, 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Bless you, Lord. Amen. And welcome again, everybody, to Lydia House. We're so happy that you came to join us today, whether you are at home or somewhere else. Maybe you're watching live, or maybe this is in the distant future, and you've uncovered it. We welcome you here, and we thank you for joining us in this church. We have just a couple of announcements today. I um, want to remind you that giving is still taking place, uh, predominantly online. You can still send in checks if you want both for the support of the ministry here at the church, which we really appreciate. Uh, you know, during lockdown, there's still expenses and things still move on. And so we definitely appreciate your support. Lydia House is 100% supported by the people in the church. And so uh, Paul and I both really appreciate that. And uh, you can also give checks to Harvest Water Africa to support the ministry we're doing there, planting farms and digging wells in Uganda, uh, which is going really well, by the way. Um, let me know if you want some more info on that. But we're planning on uh, planting a few more farms, banana farms, very soon. And Pastor Dowson right now is going around and handing out food to the poor who are not able to work right now and are starving. And so he's handing out food and soap and all that kind of necessary stuff to everybody. So please keep Pastor Dowson in your prayers as well in Uganda. And I want to point you to the website, LydiaHouseChurch.org. And check that out. Everything's on there. Former sermons, all the videos that we've done recently since lockdown, the podcasts, that sort of thing. And I uh, also encourage you to check out our Facebook page. And on the Facebook page, there is a private prayer group. So if you want to share prayer requests or have people pray uh, for prayer requests or pray yourself, maybe, for other people's prayer requests that are more private. Uh, the, the, the private group is just people who join that are approved. So people within the church. Um, I know sometimes people don't like to post prayer requests public, and I don't mind. I mean, I don't blame you for that at all. So uh, join the private prayer group, and you can do that, and that would be awesome. And we want to encourage you to join us by Zoom in these days where we're still separated. Um, we are using Zoom, which is a free program, and it allows us to do kind of video conferencing um, so that everybody can kind of get online together and still fellowship and talk and share with each other and have a good time. And it's actually been really, really awesome. And so after the service, every Sunday, so around 12 or maybe a little before, maybe a little after, depending on the length of the service, but 12 or a little earlier, we will be having our Zoom fellowship lunch. We encourage you to join us. The link for that is in the description of the video, and it's also on the website. If you go to the live page, there will be a link to that Zoom video, also or the Zoom conference. Also, the guys group meets every Sunday morning at 9, and the women's group meets every Sunday morning at 9.45. So if you're interested in one of those small groups, go ahead and join. The links are on the webpage also. And uh, for the time being, at least, we are also going to be doing a fellowship on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., also via Zoom. Uh, it's nice for those who find 
mornings to be difficult, uh, to have an evening option is good. And that's proven to be really great. It's kind of a small group sort of thing. And we encourage you to join us Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Thanks a lot. Hi, everybody. Pastor Nate with you again. Just chilling out in my nice rocking chair with my cup of coffee. Enjoying a peaceful day. Hopefully you are enjoying a peaceful day as well. If it's not naturally a peaceful day, you can make it a peaceful day by practicing peace, which we've been talking about for a few weeks now. We're going to continue to talk about it today, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to do Bible study format, so grab your Bible. Open up to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Philippians 4. Now, those of you who have been around Lydia House for a little while know that I do uh, this style of sermon pretty regularly. Um, technically, it's called expository preaching, but um, it's really me walking through the Bible. And so it's like a Bible study format. And the reason I do it this way often is because I would like all of us to get better at reading our Bible and to get better at studying the Bible. And so by walking through a passage together and talking about it, that lets you experience that so that you can go do the same thing at home or with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, that sort of thing. And so we're going to do that today with Philippians chapter 4 and continue our discussion on peace. So a little background real quick on Philippians, which is a letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi. Now, Philippi is in northern Greece, Macedonia. Um, as it was called at the time, still is today by a lot of people. And Macedonia was a region that Paul, for whatever reason, really wanted to go to on one of his missionary journeys. His first missionary journey, he really wanted to go to Macedonia. And it, the Bible doesn't say why he did, whether he just had that desire personally or um, God gave him that desire, we don't know. But he didn't just go there because he wanted to go there. He asked the Lord, and it says in the word that the Holy Spirit told him three different times, do not go to Macedonia. And so he, Paul obeyed, just because he had a desire, even if it was a godly desire, he knew that there was a difference between a calling to something and a release into doing something. And sometimes there is a waiting game in between, and Paul experienced that for a couple of years. He was called to go to Macedonia, but it wasn't time yet. God was preparing him for something that God was going to do in the future. But eventually, God said, now's the time to go. Paul had a vision, and he went to Macedonia, and he went to the city of Philippi. And he was checking out the city. It was a very syncretistic city. There was obviously Greek gods being worshipped there, but also a lot of Egyptian gods. And that's because the city was controlled for quite some time by a guy named Mark Anthony a century before. Mark Anthony had joined a guy named Octavian, to rise up against the assassins of Julius Caesar, who was the first Caesar. Um, so they raised armies to get rid of Brutus and Cassius, and then Octavian and Mark Anthony ruled Rome until Mark Anthony decided he liked Cleopatra, who is the queen of Egypt. And so those two then tried to throw, overthrow Octavian in a coup. They lost. And so in Philippi, Octavian claimed Rome for himself and changed his name to Caesar Augustus. He had been the nephew of Julius Caesar. So he changed his name to Caesar Augustus. Now, we know Caesar Augustus as the Roman emperor who is in Luke chapter 2. He was the Roman emperor when Jesus was born. He's the guy who made the tax that was the reason that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem. 
So a little bit of Roman history there about what's happening in this time. So the, it was an important city. It was a city full of history, but there was a lot of Egyptian culture, a lot of Greek culture, a lot of Macedonian culture, um, all pagan, not Christian at all, and not a ton of Jews there either. And so Paul ends up down at the river one day, probably praying, God, I've been waiting so long to come here. Nothing's happening. What's going on? And he meets a woman named Lydia. And Lydia becomes the first convert to Christianity in Europe. And Paul starts a church in her house. She's the host, uh, one of the leaders of the house church there in Philippi, the first church in Europe. And our church, Lydia House, is named in her honor. Uh, we also meet on Lydia Avenue, so it's like a double meeting. Um, and so that's where Lydia House comes from. And so that's what we're looking at now. We're looking at the church in Philippi. They still meet in Lydia's house, although they meet many other places as well. But back then, churches weren't like they are now, where there's a different church on every street corner and none of them are related to one another. Back then, a church in a city was a church, one church in the whole, for the whole region. One church, one uh, group of elders, one set of leaders. Now, they met in a lot of different houses and they met in different ways and different ministries were happening and that sort of thing. But there was unity because they were all together. Uh, which is something that I think God wants us to get back towards in the future, uh, more unity among churches in regions. I think our lack of power as a whole in Christianity comes at least somewhat from our lack of unity. Um, also, Paul talks about that elsewhere, but not in this chapter, so we'll, we'll, we'll look at it another time. Okay, so Philippians chapter 4. Paul is now writing back to this church, um, to let them know some pretty important things. He's really proud of them, and he wants them to go farther. When you're with someone who is already mature, and you're discipling someone who's already mature in their faith, um, you may think, well, what else do I have to teach them? Well, you can encourage them to go even farther, because there's always new depth and new places we can go in our relationship with the Lord and in our service towards other people. And so those are kind of the people Paul's writing to here. Um, but they have a couple things that they've been doing wrong. Based, I'm reading between the lines here. But one of those things is living in peace has proven difficult for them. And that's what we're talking about. So I wanted to look at Paul's advice to these folks who are having a tough time living in peace. They're finding things very anxious. Historically, that's because they were being persecuted by other people there. People wouldn't go to their shops anymore because they were these weird Christians. People would do other things, worse things, um, eventually. And so this is Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, obviously, the beginning of the book is actually written to, well, here it is right here, actually, beginning of chapter ending. Um, Therefore, my brothers, whom I lo love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat sympathy, don't know how to pronounce that, um, two female names, to agree in the Lord. And so there were two folks who were, who were having a disagreement and um, were having a hard time coming to terms on it. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. So these are two missionaries. These are two ministers, these women, uh, leaders and servants and missionaries. A lot of those terms are, of course, interchangeable, especially in the first century. Um, and Paul, Paul is grieved because these two friends of his who have helped him in his ministry 
are now, for some reason, at odds. And we don't know what, what the issue is. Is it theological? Is it personal? We don't know. Um, and Paul's like, please help them. I care about them, and I, I don't want there to be a division here. Um, they have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Now, Clement, uh, that Paul mentions here, is actually Saint Clement. Saint Clement becomes the Bishop of Rome sometime after Peter dies, and some historians consider him to be the first real pope. Uh, he was a really important apostolic figure in the generation right after the apostles. So he's one of those, one of those first folks in that very first generation, and he had a lot of apostolic authority, and churches from all over the place looked to him for advice and wisdom, and that's Clement. And so here again, we see, as we see throughout the book of Acts, but we see it here as well. You just have to look for it a little more. We see discipleship. The apostle Paul grabs other people that either he can sense from the Holy Spirit, have an apostolic gifting themselves, or he just thinks they do, or he gets to know them, or whatever means. He grabs these folks. He mentions these two ladies. He mentions Clement. We know that he discipled Timothy. He discipled... Um, other folks in Acts, we see a number of different people. And so Paul is always discipling other people. He knows that he's not going to last forever. And the church needs apostles, just like the church needs every other aspect of the fivefold ministry. But Paul's primary role was as an apostolic person. And so he trained up and discipled other apostolic people. And so that's what Paul is doing here with Clement. And from a his historical point of view, it's really cool to see that in the book. And here it is, Paul working with this guy, who we know later becomes Bishop of Rome, after Paul is executed and after Peter is executed as well. And I think this is a good lesson to us. Again, I, I like throwing discipleship in every sermon possible because it is so important. We should all be actively talking with and receiving from other people, whether it's through church or through just another relationship with the that we have. We all need to be discipled. We also all need to be discipling other people. Now, people who have kids, there are some automatic folks that we can disciple, but there are other people as well. And discipling someone doesn't need to be a formal, let's sit down and let's write out stuff that we want to do. It doesn't have to be that formal. It can be much more informal. It can just be a quick phone call every week saying, how you doing? What can I pray for you for? Is there anything you're struggling with? And then you listen and you don't have to offer advice to them. That's not what it is, uh, but you can help point them towards God in areas where they might not be seeing God right now. And as we know, days right now are difficult, and some people are going through a difficult time. And sometimes we get lost in our circumstance, right? We all do that sometimes. And the way to live in peace is to see beyond our circumstance. And we've talked about that the last few weeks. But sometimes we need someone else's help to let us know. And I, I have friends and my wife who have done that for me many times in my life, said, hey, I get it. I get it. That stinks. But look, you're not looking in the right direction. You're looking there, or you're looking here, and you should be looking here. We need people in our lives who can remind us of that. So we can be like, right, right. Okay, I'm focusing on the giant, not the God who can defeat any giant, right? And so that's part of what discipleship is. Well, so I'd like us to do that for one another. Yet another sermon that's not in the chapter. Okay, okay, we're getting back to it. Um, so, so uh, these women who labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. That's his way of saying, look, I don't have time to write them all, folks. Um, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. 
And again I say, rejoice. That sounds like a song. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness means your ability to talk about things, to be teachable, not to be like, no, this is the way, this is the only way, and I will not hear anyone else's opinion. That's unreasonable. Paul says, let your reasonableness be evident to all. Don't be rigid like that, be teachable. The Lord is at hand. And then verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this is one of the, one of the big verses that I wanted to get up today. So do not be anxious about anything. We mentioned that a couple weeks ago. But I wanted to show you the context of this verse. Now, the Greek word for anything means anything. And this is written in a command tone of voice. This is not a suggestion. I would prefer it if you weren't anxious. No, this is the Bible saying, do not be anxious about anything. When the Bible tells us to do something and we don't do it, the term we use for that is sin. So to be anxious about something is a sin. Now, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, for many of us, it's hard to think of it as a sin because it's like, well, it's not my fault I'm anxious. This happened and that happened. But that's because we've gotten into the bad habit of accepting the anxiety that these situations bring into our heart. But Jesus said in John 14, 27, do not allow your heart to be troubled and don't allow it to become afraid. And so when those things come at us, we can either allow our heart to become troubled by that, become anxious. We can allow ourselves to become afraid or worried, stressed out, or... We can choose to say, no, I will not allow my heart to be troubled by this. I am going to surrender to the Holy Spirit and ask him to fill me with peace instead. And when he fills us with peace, that peace sort of keeps that other stuff at bay and keeps us in a nice, peaceful, tranquil equilibrium sort of state. And so we've learned that over the last couple of weeks. And so here, Paul is really doubling down on this. And Paul talks about this in almost every epistle, by the way. Walking in the Spirit is one of the most important things to Paul. This is one of the things that all of us Christians have to learn, no exception. We all have to get this because it directly affects our relationship with God and how close we're going to get with God and how much God can partner with us to do things of value in this world and to help other people. If we're not walking in the Spirit and living in peace, like uh, the Bible talks about here, there's, there's a level to which we can reach in our Christian faith and we're just never going to get farther. We have to be able to break through that ceiling of allowing the cares of this world to dictate our life. We can't do that. We're not supposed to do that. And so the Bible says very clearly here, do not be anxious about anything. <clears throat> Paul doesn't leave them hanging, though. He gives them a little roadmap that will sound familiar to the other things we've looked at in the last couple of weeks. He gives them a little roadmap and some tips on how to do this in the next two passages. So do not be anxious about every, sorry, do not be anxious about anything but or instead. Instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication. Okay, so prayer is, we all know what prayer is. It's it's heart-to-heart -heart time with God. It's it's communicating with God. In this context, I think Paul's talking about prayer in a more personal way. Um, so, in other words, tell God what's going on, 
This is the stressful thing that's happening. This is the anxious thing that's happening in my life right now. Just talk to them. Share it with your loving father. And supplication. Supplication is when um, you ask for something fervently. Uh, it's not quite begging, but it's, it's fervent request. God, please, please hear my prayer. Okay? So one, you're kind of coming to your father, and the other, you're coming to, you could say, the master, and you're asking for, for help. And Paul is saying, do both. In every situation, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So tell him. If instead of being anxious, when these things happen in your life, in your circumstances, Bring them before the Lord and say, oh, God, this is happening. This is, this is challenging me. I don't, I don't like this. This is difficult. And then say, can you please, Lord, do something. Please come and do something for me. That's prayer and supplication. Paul says, do that with everything. Instead of being anxious, do that with thanksgiving. It says, um, so notice in the, in the supplication, we, we ask God for stuff. But like we talked about last week with Mary, uh, Jesus' mother at the wedding at Cana, when we ask God for help, it's important that we don't put conditions on God or on the help that God can provide. When Mary was at the wedding at Cana, she simply said, they have no more wine. She presented him with the problem. Okay, that's prayer supplication. Presented him with the problem and then told the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she doesn't tell Jesus his business. She doesn't tell him what to do or how to fix the problem in her own wisdom. She just brings the problem before the Lord. And that's the way we should do it. And I think this is saying the same thing. Paul is saying with parents' supplications, make your requests known. Don't tell God what to do. Don't demand God rescue you. Don't demand God wave a wand and do whatever you want him to do. Don't demand one thing or another. This isn't about demanding. Boldness in prayer isn't about demanding. It's about persistence and giving in there and staying in there until God moves or something happens. And again, God's will in that situation might not be what it is you think you want to have happen out of the situation. God might have a far better plan in mind, or God's plan might be for you to walk through the situation with him because there's something in the situation that you need to do or something you need to learn or something you need to grow or some spoils of battle that God wants you to get. There are certain rewards in the spirit that can only be found on the other side of battle. I'm talking spiritual warfare here, not human warfare, obviously. Um, but to use a human warfare example from the Old Covenant, David had to fight Goliath. He had to in order for him to get what God wanted him to have. Okay, He got fame, he got a job in the palace where he learned how to be a king and how not to be a king from Saul. There were multiple things that David got only because he fought Goliath. He never would have gotten any of those things had he not fought a giant. But our initial reaction when we see a giant is, Lord, help me. And so when Paul says here, make your request known to God, he's just saying, Lord, there's a giant. There's a giant and it's scary and I don't like it. But we need to add the, your will be done in this situation. God, I ask you to stand and be strong for me I have faith that you are going to move in this situation in power, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do, but your will be done. 
And obviously I would love it if you just rescued me out of this situation, but if that's not your plan, if you want me to go through this, I trust that you'll be with me, no matter what. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you'll be with me. That's the kind of prayer that I think we need to pray in these circumstances. We're not telling God what to do. And this is, this is hard for us because we see the situation, we say, oh God, I need you to make this go away or I need you to do that. And the problem with those prayers is they're very limited. What if that's not what God wants to do? God, I really need you to do this. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. It's more powerful to pray, God, your will be done. I trust you. You know this is hard for me. Again, but be honest with God. But I am going to trust you and I am going to walk with you. And I want you to do whatever you need to do in this situation to bring glory to yourself and to do what you need to do in my life and the lives of those around me. Okay, it's humble and it's unassuming. So we don't want to put conditions on God when we pray about these things even when we're anxious, even when we're stressed. Don't tell God how to do his business. He's way better at it than you are. He is really, really smart, and he is actually excellent at his job. God is the best God ever. He is good at it. Trust him. If you have to put conditions on all your prayers, what that says to God is you don't really trust me. You don't really trust me. If you trusted me, you would say, God, here's the situation. I give it to you. Move in power. Your will be done. I trust you, God. Amen. That's the prayer. Now, if God leads you to pray a specific way after that, then do it by all means. Absolutely. As Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So if he tells you to pray along a certain road, absolutely do that. Otherwise, uh, a prayer of humility and a prayer of your will be done is going to serve you better in the situation because that empowers God to do what he wants to do. Um, and then it says, so with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And the, the previous passage we looked at in John didn't, didn't add this together, which is why this is, I think, such an important passage. So the Apostle Paul is saying, when we have these anxious situations, worrisome things, troubles, fears, we pray. Instead of being anxious, we don't be anxious, don't let ourselves get there. Instead, we pray with thanksgiving. And this is a key if you have gotten to a certain level of practicing peace, you're like, yeah, I can do it sometimes, or I can do it to a certain degree, and then it's really tough, or the really hard things are tough, everyday things aren't as bad, hard things. Um, if you've reached kind of a ceiling in your practice of peace, this could be your key to get to that next level with thanksgiving. So as you're praying, as you're asking God to move and not telling him how to do it, you are thankful. Okay, you are thankful and you are actively thankful. When it says with thanksgiving, that means that's active there. Not just thankful in your heart, but speaking it, praying it to God, speaking it to others. This is key. You do not, if you're doing this right, you don't whine and complain to other people about your problems. You do not whine and you do not complain. Because whining and complaining stems from worry and unbelief. We talked about that a couple weeks ago too. So there's worry and there's unbelief there. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust in God. My situation is terrible and I'm going to complain about it. Why would I need to complain about it if I trusted that God's going to fix the situation? If I trusted that God's going to fix the situation and everything's going to be awesome, even though right now it's annoying, I wouldn't need to complain to other people about it. It might not even occur to me to complain to other people about it. 
By me, I mean a human being. If a human being trusted God, why would they need to complain? The Bible says anything not of faith is sin. And whining and complaining is evidence of a lack of faith. That's why they're sinful. This is what happened to the Israelites after they, was, they were let out of Egypt with the most amazing miracle string in history. And all they did is whine, 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 whine and complain. The problem with the Israelites was that although they were freed in body, they were not freed in mind. Their mind was still the mind of a slave. We're going to talk about that in a second. But because all they did was worry and complain, instead of thanksgiving, how would they not thank God? Thank you, God, that every single morning you do a miracle and give us food out of nowhere. How amazing is that? Every single morning you make bread appear out of thin air, and then you send a bunch of birds that just like lie down and let us kill them and eat them. Like, this is amazing. Not to mention all the miracles you used to bring us out of Egypt. Thank you, God. This is, you are so amazing. They should have been thankful. They weren't. And so we need to make sure that as we are presenting our requests to the Lord, and as we're praying about these things, we're not whining and complaining. We, they, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. We need to be thankful. So pray with thanksgiving. So you say, Lord, I, I know you're going to move, and I trust you to do whatever it is that you want to do, that you need to do in this situation. And thank you, Lord, that you're going to do that. Thank you that you're going to move on my behalf. Thank you that I have favor with you, favor in heaven. And may I have favor on earth as well. Thank you, God, for all the things you've done in my past. And if you have a specific thing, like let's say it's finances. Let's say you're concerned about finances. That's a big one for a lot of people, right? Thank him for the times in your past that he has come through for you. Thank you, Lord, for that time that we didn't know how we were going to pay tuition for, for, for college, and you just brought a couple thousand dollars out of another that we weren't expecting. It was so amazing. Thank you, God, for doing that. Thank you. And Lord, if you want to do that again, I'm all for it. But whatever you want to do, Lord, your will be done. But thank you for all the times you've come through. And I have faith, Lord, that you will come through for me again. And I will not whine and I will not complain. I will just be thankful. And so that's thankful for the past, thankful in the present, but it's also thankful for the future. And that is something called faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, make sure I get it right, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance. It's solid. It has substance to it. Faith has substance when you activate that faith in something that you are hoping for, even though you don't see it yet. In other words, thank you, Lord, that I am going to get through this situation and I'm going to be stronger for it and your name is going to be glorified. I don't know how that's going to happen, but thank you, Lord, that you are coming through in this situation. It hasn't happened yet, right? So we're thanking God in faith. And this is a powerful thing, folks. If you haven't done this before, you got to get on this. This this is, a, this is a very powerful form of faith, and faith is substance. It's strong. Faith is the medium, the, 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 the channel, the, the access between us and heaven. Our access to things of heaven is through faith, okay? In heaven, we've been given all blessings. Every blessing that God can ever give us, he's already given us. And we talk about that a lot, but I want you to hear it a thousand times so it gets through your head. Every blessing 
God will ever give you, he's already given you. Every amount of love that you could ever have, God's already given you. Every piece of forgiveness that you ever need, he's already given you. Every spiritual gift, every anointing, everything that God would ever give you, he's already given you. He's given you all blessings in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians. The way we access that, the way we walk into those blessings that we already have in heaven, is by being in the will of the Lord, obedience, faith. It all comes down to basically faith. Faith is taking a step in obedience to God. It's belief plus obedience. That's what faith means. Belief plus obedience. We believe what God has said, and we take a step to walk. That's what faith is. And so every time we exercise faith, it it opens up the pathway between us and the blessings of heaven. Okay? And I realize I'm describing this in a way that might seem, you know, weird to some of you. um, But I'm a visual person, so I think of things that way. Okay? I I think of heaven as being another dimension to this one. And when we exercise faith, it like opens a tiny portal between us and that dimension and we get to access the power of heaven. If you don't like that analogy, that's fine. I'm a nerd, so it helps me. Okay. So we, we thank God in faith. That's a powerful move of faith to say, thank you, God, that you are coming through in this situation. Again, <laughs> I go back to David and Goliath a lot, but it's just such a great story. So when David's fighting Goliath, he's already thanking God that he's going to deliver Goliath into his hand. This kid. Okay? Faith. Great faith. So, with thanksgiving, we make our requests known to God. With thanksgiving. So we thank God for what he's done. We thank him for what he's doing now. Even if some of what's happening in our situation now is something we don't like, we still thank him for what he's doing now. And we thank him for what he's going to do in the future. We do that in faith. This thanksgiving piece is, it's, it's a real key to walking in peace. If you can learn to submit the whining and complaining about your situation and grab a hold of exercising your thanksgiving instead, you will find that walking in the Spirit is much easier. I'm really serious. Try this out. Ask the Holy Spirit to tap you on the shoulder every time you're whining or complaining. And every time. Ask him to do it every time. He will start to do it. And as, as you respond to those promptings and learn how to recognize it, you'll, you'll hear it even clearer and you'll be able to respond to it. And if you can discipline yourself, self-control, through the spirit of self-control, to hold back the whining and complaining, and every time you were about to whine or complain, instead thank God, whether it's to yourself, in your own head, or to God, or to other people. Every time you were about to whine or complain, instead express some sort of gratitude towards God for what he's done. If you will do that, you will see very quickly, like a week or two, you will notice a difference. Uh, and it, it, for, for many of you, it will be an enormous difference. That one thing, laying down, whining and complaining, which is a sin, and instead embracing thanksgiving, especially, especially thanksgiving in faith for what God's going to do, like I was just saying, the, the difference in power dynamic there is immense. And the spiritual atmosphere within you and around you will completely change. Completely change. I'm not joking. This is, this is, I'm not getting money out of this, okay? I'm not trying to convince you something for my own gain. This is, I'm trying to convince you of something that I've experienced. And the, the night and day difference is unbelievable. I did this, it, for the first time, I really started doing this in college. And I was in a season where I was just really dark. And I was complaining about a lot of stuff. All the stuff I had the right to complain about. Um, and my friend, 
helped me. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but he was discipling me to get back to discipling. He was discipling me to intentionally step out of the writing and complaining and into Thanksgiving. And what he said was, fake it till you make it. And I was like, I don't like that. See, I don't like anything disgenuine or fake. It smells of hypocrisy to me, and I just, I have an allergic reaction to that. And I told him that, and he said, forget it. Just do it anyway. Just try this out for like two weeks. And I said, fine. He was, he was older, wiser. I, I, I respected him, and so I said, yes, I will do that. And so he said, every time you were about to say something that is a whining or complaining thing, instead say out loud to whoever's there something of thanksgiving or praise to God, um, which are very closely tied together. Right? And so I said, fine. And I faked it. And I, at the first couple days, it seemed it was really awkward and strange. Um, and then I started getting into it, and it became a habit actually pretty quickly. It very quickly became a habit that when something annoying would happen, I'd be like, oh, okay, praise God, this is going to be fine. And that would be my initial reaction. Instead of, uh, why, you know, in, in the normal way I would get frustrated at life all the time. Um, and it really didn't take long before I saw this working, and then I wasn't faking it anymore. I only had to work my way into it. Uh, for a pretty short period of time, and then I started seeing the fruit of it, so I started doing it more easily, and eventually I was doing it because I wanted to do it. Um, and I've gone like this in my life, as many of us have. Hopefully, when you look at a graph of year-to-year -year or five-year graph, you're like, yes, I've gone up. But it's not a steady up climb, and it's not an exponential curve like with a uh, pandemic. <laughs> it is, it's like this. That's, that's the way our lives go. That's discipleship. That's the way it is, and Jesus understands that. He doesn't yell at us and curse our names when we're down in the valleys. He helps us get back up. He walks through the valleys with us. That's who he is. And so we want to live with Thanksgiving. And if you will give this a shot and give up the whining and complaining, you will see a massive difference in your life. I don't know how else to say it other than that. Um, so the, the key that Paul's talking about here to peace, verse 6 again, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the God of peace, sorry, the God of peace is a phrase used in other places, but this says the peace of God. So this is the peace of Jesus, which he gave to us already. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, okay? Like, the peace that God gives us, the peace that we can live in, makes no sense, is what this means. It makes no stinking sense. Your kid is in the hospital. They're putting a spinal tap in her. She's seven weeks old. Seven weeks old, giant needle in her spine. How are you not freaking out? How are you not upset right now? How are you not so nervous you feel like you're going to puke? How? Because of the peace of God. That's how. The peace of God surpasses all understanding. It makes no sense how you could be so peaceful, even in circumstances that difficult, or even in circumstances that are very long-term, that keep progressing and, and going and going and going, you don't see the end. You can still maintain the peace of God in that, because the peace of God is amazing. And other people around you will start asking you, how, how, how can you be so peaceful? Surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we're going to get back to this in a second. But it guards your hearts and your minds. So once you are filled up with the peace of Christ and doing this and walking in this, then it guards you. It protects you. It's like a bubble, a shield. It protects you against other 
So we're going to get back to that in a second. Verse 10, let's keep going. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Sorry, verse 8. I, I, um, I'm anxious to get going. That's a different meaning of the word anxious. Okay, verse 8, sorry. Eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So it's a big, long list of good stuff. And what does Paul say after that big, long poetic list? Think about those things. Keep your minds on those things. Keep your minds on things above. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So there's the God of peace and the peace of God, both. And they're the same thing, of course. They're interchangeable. This, this whole construction here is a, it, it's a linguistic construction that he says, peace of God, God of peace. It's, it's meant to be um, like one of, one of the never-ending circles, like an Ouroboros or something like that, um, linguistically. Style-wise, for those of you who are into that sort of thing. And so the peace of God means to live in the God of peace. Having the God of peace with you and living through you is to be at in the peace of God. They're, they're, they're one and the same. Because peace is God, right? We have Jesus' peace because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And he brings the expression of that peace to our mind and to our body and to our spirit. So Paul says here, all these great things, if you want to live in peace, do you want to live in the peace of God? Do you want to have a God of peace with you? Think on these things, he says. Think on these things. And that's right in the middle of the path of this uh, chiasm, I guess it would be called, in uh, poetic terms. Um, the battle for peace is in our minds. This is what Paul is saying. When it all comes down to it, we know we have the gift of peace. We know the spirit is within us. We've practiced it. We've learned how to humble ourselves. We've learned how to cast all anxieties on him. We've learned how to say no to the anxieties and fears of this world and not allow them into our hearts, to say no to that instead and to let the peace of the Holy Spirit fill us. We know all these things, but now in order to walk in that every day and grow in that every day, the battle is primarily in our minds. That's what Paul is saying. Because whining, complaining, worry, these are things in our minds. We think about our situation and our circumstance and we go, oh, well, that might mean this, and then this might happen. And if this happens, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do if that happens. Okay, stop. Stop it. Knock it off. That, that is, that is stinking thinking, as my mentor Gary Gilbertson uh, would say. It, it's, it's bad. It's bad thoughts. Don't let your thoughts jump on a train and just head on down the tracks, because where that train goes is negative town, and it's not faith, and it's not good, and it's not peaceful. Um, we have to be careful what we allow ourselves to think about. Don't dwell on the negative thoughts. Don't dwell on the bad part of the circumstances. Don't dwell on the what ifs. <sighs> what if, what if, that's fear, okay? A negative what if is called fear. We cannot dwell on those thoughts. We cannot dwell on that negative type of thinking. 
We have to learn to discipline our minds. The battle's up here. And it's, again, the fruit of the spirit of self-control, which we've talked about throughout this as being so integral. The fruit of the spirit of self-control has to, we have to exercise that. I am, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop thinking about this right now. And instead, again, it's hard to get rid of a negative. We've, taught, we've thought about that before. You can't get something out of your head. You have to put something else into your head, right? And we, we've all heard those examples. Ready? Everybody, do not think of a pink elephant. Don't think of a pink elephant. Okay. Are you, do you have a, did you picture a pink elephant? Of course you did. That's what everyone does. You can't not do something in your mind. You can't just not think negative thoughts. You can't not worry. You can't not think about what happens in the future, but you can replace those thoughts with something good. Everybody think about a gray dolphin. Yay, when the gray dolphin pops into your head, the pink elephant probably leaves. Unless the dolphin and elephant are friends. Maybe that's fine. So we need to control our thoughts. This is, this is so huge. This is the difference between level one or two and making it to level three um, in terms of your piece. The, the next level to pass this final exam, you need to learn to exercise self-control over your mind and what you think to stop yourself from thinking those negative thoughts because allowing yourself to think and dwell on those negative thoughts will take you right down to anxiety town, straight there. It's a bullet train. It's the Japanese Shinkansen, and it just flies down the tracks. And it can get there in an unbelievable amount of time. And you know what I'm talking about. You allow yourself to go down that train of negativity of what might happen in my circumstances. I'm looking at it with human eyes and what might happen in the future. And you're instantly afraid. You're instantly anxious. Your heart is instantly heavy. Your stomach might be tight. Whatever, whatever experiences you tend to have when that fight-or-flight response kicks in in your brain, when you allow your mind to... Tap that amygdala in your brain and say, whoop, 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 warning, warning, bad stuff's happening. And it releases the cortisol and all the stress hormones, and it makes you sick, and it ruins your organs, and it kills you, and it's terrible, and all that stuff. Don't do that. Most of us, the reason we experience so much stress, and doctors have talked about the same thing, it's not just all the stuff happening to us. It's that we keep doing it in our mind over and over whether it's reliving a hurt or a trauma or the what-ifs about the situation or just it's so bad right now and our eyes are just focused only on what's going on and they're not focused on above. That makes it so that the stress of one situation, that yeah, most people would probably get stressed out by that one situation, but we keep thinking about it and it means the stress goes on and on and on and on and on. And that's what trauma does to the brain, except it does it in a physical way where trauma actually breaks your brain so that you can't get out of that loop on your own and you need help, <laughs> medical help, therapy, spiritual help to fix that, to fix your brain. But many of us do that to ourselves all the time. And we just look at our situation and we allow ourselves to think negatively. We allow ourselves to hop right on that train and head all the way to where it goes, which is what, where, where, where does it go for you in your situation? Divorce, is that where the train is headed? Losing your job, losing your house, your kids never coming back to the Lord. What's the train that you like to hop onto? When I say like to, I don't mean you want to. I mean you do it often. Okay? Don't get on. <laughs> don't get on the train. Say no. Allow your self-control to rise up and stop doing that. Paul says, don't dwell on that stuff. Think on good things. And, and his list here is kind of funny. 
he gets the end of the list and he's like, look, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on that, like anything positive, anything with a shred of praiseworthiness, think about that. The twins had a great year and had a lot of home runs. That's a better thought than whatever else you were doing. That's not an altogether spiritual thought, but at least it's a better thought, right? If it makes you happy and it makes me happy. So, so that's better for you. So this is really important. The battle is in our minds, okay? And we have to learn self-control over our negative thoughts. Second Corinthians 10.5, you all know the passage. Second Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, any idea out there that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, you will die if you get this virus. You will never have your 401k come back to where it is. This is terrible. Whatever knowledge is out there, even if it's knowledge by a smart person, anything out there like that, it says we demolish that thought in our minds. We demolish it. We destroy it. To demolish means to obliterate. It doesn't just mean crack it in half. It means utterly destroy it, remove it, so that it, it's, it's nothing. It's just dust lying on the ground. That's it. That's what we need to do to these thoughts. We take the sword of the spirit and we destroy those suckers, okay? We demolish every thought, every pretension that puts itself up against the knowledge of God, against what we know to be true and whom we know to be true. This is our warrior stance. This is not a passive thing. This is an active warrior, spiritual warfare, not flesh and blood war. We're talking about destroying and coming against with violence, ideas, ideas, thoughts in our head. And then it goes on to say, again, this is 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Um, and we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought that goes through our head, we grab that sucker. Again, this is self-control. Our own self-control, our own will, taking control over our mind and saying, I will not think that thought. I will not go down there. I won't. You take it captive and make it obey Christ. That's what it says. Take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. The battle is in our minds, and it is up to us to fight the battle. When we do it, when we take our thoughts captive and replace them with thinking on things above, like Paul is saying here, the God of peace will be with us. The God of peace will be with us. We will be able to live in peace when we learn how to control our thoughts and not let ourselves go to negativity. We can't do it. It's natural, okay? And most of us are in the habit of doing it. We're, and and I, I have been for years. I, I'm not... I'm not a guru on this, okay? Remember remember we talked about our growth curve, okay? I'm one of these too, okay? I'm not perfect by any means. But I have learned, honestly, I've learned it in most circumstances, this is a little bit harder than it sounds. I know it hardly sounds hard. And it, and it does, and it is. Um, but the, I, what I have found is the more I can humble myself first, the easier this is. Because when I'm not humble, then my selfishness is sort of prominent. 
right? If you don't know it yet, I'm a very selfish person. Um, the old Nate, that is to say, is very selfish. And the old Nate is always trying to control this, right? And get me to think like that old Nate. But I have learned that I, that that selfishness rises up when I haven't hobbled myself enough. And so then even if I am praying or asking God for something or thanking God or doing the right thing, that selfishness clouds everything. It messes everything up. It's hard to take these thoughts captive um, because I'm more selfish and it's hard to let, let go of stuff, especially if that stuff is painful. Humility helps you to let go of yourself. It helps you to get up on your cross and follow Jesus like he told us to do. And when we're up on our cross and we're following Jesus, it's, it's understandable that there's some pain and it's understandable that there's some difficulty and it's easier to do. So I have found that humbling myself makes this easier, but it's still tough. And especially when you first get started, learning how to take every thought captive is difficult, but we have to do it. We have to learn how to take these negative thoughts, especially thoughts about our current situation and the anxiety and stuff. If we can learn to stop thinking that, then when Jesus says, don't allow that into your heart, it won't even come up as much. And this is why, go back to the beginning, it says the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is why. This is why that's true. When we are full of the peace of Christ, it guards our hearts and our minds. It's like having armor. It's like having a shield. Like I think of like Star Trek, you know, they've got the shields up. So stuff's not gonna hurt them as much. It's not gonna affect them. When we are living in peace, we're walking in peace right now today, then our shields are up. And why is that true? It's true because our minds are being taken captive, all our thoughts. So we let the negative stuff go and we think on the positive stuff. When we do that, when we let the negative stuff go, when we shove it out of our heads, when we stop it, when we replace it with thanksgiving and praise, praise and worship really helps me, by the way. Sometimes it's hard to get it out of your head and you're like, ah, I just can't stop thinking about it. Take, take a t time out or just put some worship music on your phone or in your car or whatever it is and start worshiping and letting go. Praying in tongues, another awesome way. This really works for me well. Praying in tongues really helps about this. Just make sure that as you're playing in tongues, your mind's not thinking about the negative stuff. No, no, no. Think about the positive stuff or do something with your body or your hands while you pray in tongues. But that really helps. And when we can do that, when we can push the negative stuff out, then the situations just aren't going to come up as much that we have to say no to the anxiety because the anxiety won't be there. The situations will still be there. But when we dwell on those bad situations, every 10 minutes we have to make that decision of whether or not we'll take the anxiety. If we're constantly letting ourselves think about the stuff, we're constantly having to say no to the stuff. If instead we're not thinking about the stuff because we don't let it because we take those thoughts captive and we think about things above, then it gets easier. It, it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, in that sense. And I've also found that when we learn to walk in peace in the day-to-day -day stuff, the little stuff, then it strengthens us. It's like exercise. It's better to exercise five or 10 minutes a day than not at all, right? And we might think, oh, but that's not real exercise. I'm not going to get real strong. Well, if, but if you do it for 10 minutes a day, it's going to make a difference. And then when the big things do come up, you'll be able to handle it. Because some people listen to this and they're like, okay, next time something really bad happens, I'm going to try to practice peace. And I'm like, mm, good luck with that. It's probably not going to work. Because you're not in shape. 
you haven't practiced. You don't know how to do it yet. You don't have experience doing it yet. We need to experience it and live it and walk in it so that we can handle it. But also, when we're already living in peace, it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So when those big things do happen, they're much easier for us to rebuff. It's easier for us to say no to the stress and anxiety and fear and worry of those things because we're already filled with the peace of God. We're already dwelling on things above in our mind and taking all those negative thoughts captive and jailing them or expelling them or excommunicating them, whatever you want to say, from your head. And we are living already in the peace of Christ. And it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's much better. And I have some experiences with that where big things have happened where I wasn't walking in peace, and ooh, that was tough. And I've experienced it when big, and by big I mean bad, things happen and I was walking in peace, I was surprised at how easy it was to say no to the anger and the fear and the anxiety. It was very easy for me to say no because I was guarded. I had my shields up. It's like if someone shoots an arrow at you with, when you have no arm and you're like, oh, that really hurts, it's gonna take you out for a while, it's, it's not good. But if you've got a big shield and you're walking around with the shield and someone shoots an arrow at you, you're just like, oh, okay, was that an arrow? Oh, okay. You, you might want to make a decision like get out of that guy's way or turn your shield towards him so he doesn't keep hitting you. I'm not saying it's not a thing. It's a thing still, but it's not going to affect you. It's not going to wound you. It's not going to take you out because you're already living in peace. That's my experience. So we need to learn to resist and contradict those negative thoughts. When we're in a bad situation, circumstances are difficult or worrisome, we, we, we know we can't allow that into our hearts. We instead want to live in peace. But the way to maintain that is to do it with thanksgiving, without putting conditions on God. Remember, your will be done with thanksgiving and learning to take those negative thoughts captive and dwell on the positive things, dwell on the Lord, dwell on things above. If we can learn to retrain our minds, um, God will get us to where we need to be. The Bible says that we need to be transformed. I'm trying to think of the passage. I think it's also in Corinthians. To be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we need to have the Holy Spirit renew our mind. To reprogram is what it means. Okay? To use modern lingo. Be reprogrammed in your mind. And when you do that, you will be transformed. So, do you want to be a new version of yourself, a better version of yourself, a not stressed out version of yourself, a peaceful version of yourself? Then, to get past level one or two in all of that, you need to be reprogrammed by the Holy Spirit with your cooperation. Learning to take those thoughts captive, push the negativity aside, dwell on the things above. It takes a lot of self-control, a lot of humility, and it's not easy, but it's really worth it. It's really worth it. And so I encourage you all to go for that. We're going to talk about it again next week and wrap up this series. But first, I want to uh, just have us pray together just for a minute. So please, wherever you are, um, if you can, close your eyes, do so. Obviously, be safe. <sighs> Father God, we thank you that you continue to move in our life. We thank you that you continue to give us opportunities to grow and to learn to walk in your peace. We thank you that you keep giving us opportunities to learn how to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Lord, we want to cooperate with this. So we ask you, Father God, 
to help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Holy Spirit, we just give you permission. And if you want to agree with this prayer, just agree with this prayer. Maybe hold out your hands as a surrender symbol. Holy Spirit, I give you my mind. I give you the way I think. I give you the way I respond to things in my mind. I give you the kind of thoughts that I dwell on. I give you my mind and all that it is with all its flaws and faults and dark spaces. And I ask you to transform me, renew me, reprogram me. I know that I have an active part to walk this out, but I'm asking you and I'm trusting you, Holy Spirit, to do this in me as you and I walk through this hand in hand, step by step. Teach me, Holy Spirit, how to take every thought captive, how to demolish any idea that would raise itself up against the knowledge of God that I have in my life. And help me to take everything captive and make it obey you. Help me learn how to banish those thoughts, how to close the door to that negativity, how to not think about what ifs and jump on that train that's headed towards somewhere that we don't want to go in our minds. Help me not to get on that train and do all the what if games, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict me and remind me when I start falling into these patterns so that I can start forming new patterns, better patterns, where I exercise my self-control and when I walk in the truth that I have been given the mind of Christ which is what the word says. Help me to walk in that truth. I've been given the mind of Christ. Help me to walk that out by faith and receive that here on earth now, Lord. And I pray that you would help me to learn to say no to those things and to discipline myself, to walk in peace, and to be thankful. Lord, I pray that you would Help me, Holy Spirit, to cultivate thanksgiving. And every time I whine or complain, I pray that you tap me on the shoulders. Be like, oh, no, we're not complaining about that. We're not whining about that. We are going to thank God for something. Or we are going to praise him for something. We really need your help to do this, Holy Spirit, as you know. But I trust that you will help me do this. I trust that you will help all of us do this. And I pray that through the next few weeks as we practice this, that this would really be a great testimony for us to be able to share with other people, that it would really show us once again how trustworthy you are and how much of a difference you really do make and can make in our lives when we submit to you and when we cooperate with what you're doing. So Holy Spirit, we just give you our lives, our heart, mind, soul, spirit, body. Help us to follow your lead. Help us to keep a hold of your hand every step of the way. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. See you next week.